Hey, this is Marie from Brad Ohio. I want to welcome you on a new episode of Naysayers, where we're going to be discussing about entrepreneurship, equestrian sports, as well as everything related to the company and how we aim to improve the market in the future. If you want to find out more, feel free to subscribe, follow us on Instagram, and of course, check out our nice catalog of horses. Take care of yourself. See you soon. Ciao, ciao. Chad, how are you? Yeah, all good, thanks. <laughs> How's everything on your side of the world? Yeah, Got everything's good. Yeah, everything's good, thank you. Well, thanks a lot for joining this podcast. Uh, I yeah, always no love to catch up with you and see how you're doing. So today I really wanted to, well, introduce you to, to the audience uh, of this podcast and get to also understand how you got yourself to that level as a show jumper, kind of get the, the overview and the perspective and also talk a bit about the sales business not that i've been lucky selling any of your horses yet <laughs> yeah but uh i not, love not to quite managed to, to do one yet together yeah it's been tricky it's been tricky but yeah um yeah well i mean what would you like to know really just just where, where do you want me to start i think i think it's super interesting to to get an overview of, of who you are and what got you into into get to this, you know to this level as a, as a jumper how did you start and how did your career kind of take off Okay. Um, okay. If we starting from the from the very beginning, yeah, my my mother was an instructor, um, so she always just wanted me to be able to ride a little bit, to be honest. Um, and then obviously I, I developed it, um, and then later on I, I I was quite successful as a kid on ponies and jumping, and yeah, it just sort of went from there really. And then I carried on, and 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 already quite at a young age I knew that that's what I wanted to be doing. You know, they said to me, like, you know, I was I was never very good in school, um, never very well behaved with that. And, uh, yeah, I, I just loved, always wanted to come to the stable and, and, and ride, ride the ponies and the horses. So so that was the natural sort of path which I took, really. Yeah. No, that's brilliant. That's brilliant. And um, to get a bit of perspective, I don't want to name it myself, but give us a little bit of an overview of where you stand today, what your ranking is upon you know international riders as well as the british riders yeah and also tell us a little bit about your goals i think that could be an interesting one to cover yeah okay so actually i was working for um actually a guy named vladimir tuganov for three and a half years and i was uh yeah last year actually ranked in the top 100 in the world and in the top 10 british riders um, I got to some brilliant chances to compete at five star shows and nations cup shows and everything which was obviously fantastic and then um yeah and then for the last uh, about six months ago then i actually left and totally set up for myself so i've set up my business completely on my own now um i have both horses in the england and the netherlands and um, primarily i'm more in the netherlands because yeah just because of the sport out here you know it's much easier there's many more international shows and stuff so i'm staying out here uh more often out here than in england um, and competing and now I'm producing yeah basically a new string of young horses and yeah obviously like that's why we're trying to do things together in in, in, in sell some nice quality young horses and I have students and uh, yeah it's going like that really yeah so so doing a bit of, of everything now for, for myself with the business yeah yeah that's very good I think I think very interesting horses no like I said not that I've been lucky yet we tried um, but I think it could be nice to talk a little bit about, about the different horses that we're helping you represent and that we could potentially find the right client for. Um, I'd love to talk a little bit about them and share what type of, of potential client they could suit and, and why you chose in the first place to have these horses in the barn. 
Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Which which horse would you like to start with? Well, there's a few. You know, like you can cover. My favorite is Casali at the moment. That's a lovely yeah. one. I think that's a lovely one. And Kamil Manzi is is definitely an interesting prospect. Yeah, I think Kamil Man is uh, a really really commercial horse. To be honest, he's. Um, He's a beautiful type. Actually, we just made some, uh, which actually you'll you'll be pretty happy with, to be honest, because <laughs> you're always asking me about photos and things. You're the worst with pictures. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I think it's classic children for way, and I think sometimes we're we're scrolling through WhatsApp there, two hundred videos to try and find the one that it was that, that was the good round and, and and good photos from each horse, and yeah. Gets very confused. I think I've got thousands of videos and, and photos on my phone. I'm, I'm constantly upgrading storage. Um, but no, we actually made some some really really nice photos of him. He's an absolutely beautiful type. I think he fits to to the American market or, or to most markets. Really, he's, he's he's absolutely stunning horse to be honest. Um, and he's a he's a he's a gentleman in the stable and everything. And uh, yeah, I think that's a, that's a really really interesting. To be honest. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I definitely think he could he could definitely suit, in my opinion, from what I've seen, a lovely amateur who wants a nice either an investment horse to resell with their trainer or just a nice horse to, to kinda of take over. And what was your take on, on Kazali and 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 her future? Yeah, she's she's I mean, again a little bit like what you just said. I think it's a nice horse for someone to buy. I think she she is really a nice horse for an amateur. Um, you know, to, to, to buy and do exactly what you said, you know, maybe produce on a bit, sell at a later day or keep keep her for themselves to, to jump some bit bigger stuff or whatever if she, if she suits really good. Yeah, that's, uh, that's I think, her job, to be honest. I'm super intrigued to understand kind of, you know, because the business of, of selling horses, you guys have to find a way in which you can find these horses yourself as younger horses. And we did discuss in the past about potentially helping you scout horses and stuff like that. Yeah. What do you feel is the process for someone that runs this type of business or for you ultimately? How do you find these horses and how do you think that this has to be has to be improved? The reason why I'm asking this is because, as you know, we've got fairly big goals and we try to constantly be able to grow and be able to serve people like you as well as our other client types. And I would love to kind of get feedback on that and see how we could support that in the future. Yeah. So actually, I think the, the most important thing, which is what obviously I spoke to you about from the beginning, really, is that, is, is, you know, obviously it's trust um, when it comes to, to buying horses. Um, you know, uh, for example, I even had one student of mine, you know, and she bought a horse there over Facebook kind of thing to people she didn't know. And yeah, and the horse turned up completely not what she was kind of asking for. So at least from my point of view, when I when I buy horses, um, it, it's always through people that I trust, you know. And I have a few good people that are around that that always are keeping an eye out for me. And, uh, yeah, it, it's always, usually the same people that I'm always, you know, not necessarily buying it off the same person, but always sometimes using the same people that are finding me horses, like you say, scouting or sourcing horses a little bit. Yeah, that's uh, that's that's the way I'm usually doing it. To be honest, yeah. I think that considering the market has been operating like that from that word of mouth and that trust and that established network, you know, when you have people like that are merchants or dealers, I'm not talking about the bad ones. I'm really talking about the good ones and riders like yourself. You guys always kind of use the same framework and setup as you've done in the last 10, 20, 30, 40 years. Mm -hmm. This is where the challenge for a company like mine 
is because ultimately everyone kind of has their established contact but then when they want to kind of position themselves with a bigger group of people it's it's very difficult to find the right that's where I'm trying to help and this is where I'm trying to scale but it's definitely a tricky one have you had any purchase like issues yourself in the past yeah of course I mean listen when when I when I've bought horses there's been uh, I mean obviously definitely not going to name names and and, and use examples but actually a horse um last year yeah that I bought and had a thing and normally it was absolutely a case again it was people I didn't know um and I got took there by someone I also didn't know too well and should have maybe looked into the situation a bit more so I mean actually but that that's what I that's what I mean how easy it is to to to, to make a mistake now actually we managed to work the horse you know a lot better and the horse came through it and and, and actually we did find the right person for the horse in the end um but actually it was yeah, we were definitely lied to a little bit uh, or, or misled with the with the purchasing, let's say, um, and and I think that's 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 important to, to know that it can even happen to people. So I think especially amateur people or or people who you know if if they if they have a trainer, so that's where they have to trust to the trainer and to the people and surround themselves with good people around them that they make sure that they don't make those mistakes because it's very, very, very easy and there are a lot of people out there still willing to, to unfortunately, to, to catch people out just, for, for, you know, for money uh, with horses. So I think I think that, you you know, you have to be careful with that and really, yeah, have the, the right people around you who you trust to, to, to find you you the right horse, you know. For sure, yeah. for sure. And even, even for us, you know, like we've been in business for like just just a little bit over a year. We've sold a fair number of horses, over seven figures now in terms of value, which is great. But still, we still have to face the bullshit. We still have to face a lot of stuff where this is where it's like the hard part of the horse business is not selling horses. It's dealing with people. And it's actually unbelievable the amount of lies that you will face, even being a company that preaches, hey, I want to be transparent and honest. So it's kind of very, very difficult to keep the promise at scale, I'm saying. Like, if we do it one-on-one, we've got a very, very difficult, like, process to review the horses and all sorts. It's fine. But when you want to do it at scale, it's very, very difficult. So that's, I think, going to be one of the biggest challenges that we have. One other thing that I did want to talk about is the difficulty to actually sell horses. Uh, how many times have we spoken about great horses of yours and, and horses that actually ended up selling? Uh, my favorite one has to be the little Sandro Gelding, I can't remember his name. Sandro's son, yeah. yeah. Yeah, that one, absolutely astonishing. And that was, we, we did have a client that was reviewing this horse last year and didn't buy it for such a silly reason. How mm-hmm. did how did that sold now, from what I understand? Yeah, yeah, he sold. He sold in the end. You know, he sold to America and uh, we found a perfect, perfect time for him. Uh, actually, the lady was... Um, yeah, she was a vet, you know, and, 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 and I spoke with the lady out there when she had him. She's so, so happy with him. And he was a lovely horse. Like, um, it was a strange yeah. situation with him. He was uh, he was a fantastic horse. I actually really liked him as, as a jumper. And then we actually then did go down the path with, in, in, in the final stages with him as a, as a hunter, you know. Um, but then we kept sort of missing the, 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 the shot with him a few times a little bit. And... Um, you know, for one reason or another, and it was no really reflection on the horse, but like you say, it, it just can be one thing or another. And then, yeah, in the end, in the end, it came right because I always believed that the horse was a 
very commercial laws to be sold. And uh, yeah, in the end, it, it, it worked out well because he actually found the, the perfect home in the end for him, you know, so that was, uh, yeah, that was good in the end. Yeah, definitely, definitely lovely horse. I mean, I do when I look at the horses that you have in the stable, at least the ones for sale, like that are actively promoted to be south horses. Like when I look at Corsini or when I look at um, Camel Man or Casali or the Merda you sold, Pina, like these are all hyper-commercial horses, extremely easy to ride. And like, yeah. is, yeah. is that a criteria when you buy them? Yeah, I must be honest, I'm quite picky when it comes to types anyway, so that's why I really, in my mind, always if I, if I always pick a nice type of a horse, it's always got a job, so that's why some of my horses, which you, which you know, and, and what you've already mentioned, sold last year as, you know, American Hunters, or had another job, you know, that I think if they're a lovely type, they can sell as an equitation horse, or a hunter, or they, they can still be a show jumper, or, you know... It, it's always much easier when when the horse is a, is, a, is a commercial type. Of course, you know when you have a, a jumping horse that maybe jumps like a freak, but looks also strange, and it goes on a really big bridle and thing. You know, it never looks so commercial, so it, it has to fit then a special uh, criteria of, 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 of client. Also, you know, it doesn't fit to everybody. So I always try to think about a horse that would fit to various. Uh, you know, various people. That's then it's always much easier job when it comes to selling. To be honest, yeah. For sure, for sure. I have another two questions related to um to to purchase before I move on to asking you questions about yourself and your goals for the future. But I have two two very strong debate generating questions. One from the the biggest issue. Actually, this is going to be a bunch of questions. The biggest issue that I face in the sport right now when it comes to selling horses, the biggest reason why people don't buy when the trial goes brilliantly is the x-rays. However, we know that many top-level horses don't have great x-rays. Many don't pass the vet check. I mean, don't pass the vet check in terms of like a pre-purchase mm -hmm. and are still extremely sound and extremely able until the end of their life to compete at the top level. Do you think that, this is political, but do you think that clients find themselves to be more and more picky? And do you find this to be a risk for selling performances? Yeah, this is this 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 is a bit of a, a topic. <laughs> probably whatever I say here is going to get disagreed. Um, my personal opinion about x-rays, listen, the truth be told, I don't have good x-rays, you know. I... Um, yeah. I don't have good x-rays on, on my back. There's already a little bit of arthrosis on the fourth and, and, and fifth vertebrae. <laughs> now, I'm still riding and competing, and I manage with that. And, and I would say, yeah, I'm, I do have trouble with it, but I'm sound enough. And maybe in the end, I'm stronger than someone else who has completely nothing. But they, you know, the, the problem is that the, the, there's x-rays, which is, which, is, which is all well and good, and that's great. And obviously, we, obviously we have to look at that, of course, um, depending on how serious the issue is. Um, but at the same time, there's also, you know, people forget about the, 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 you know, how many ligaments and muscles are running through the horse. And, you know, a horse can have perfect x-rays, but it can have a broken tendon. So, yeah. you know, that, that, that's, that's the truth of the matter. And I think people now, especially the amateur people have been told, you know, oh, you must look for the x-rays, you must check the x-rays and this, that and the other. And we, I see it more and more now with a lot of the horses that, let's say, I sell in England. Um, for for the amateur market, you know that people now, you know, years ago it wasn't like that, but now everybody wants to see the X-rays because that's what they've been told to 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 be safe that they should do. But actually, you know, you feel like saying sometimes, yeah, the horse has a small remark, but it's nothing that's going to actually affect its performance and the job it's going to do for you is perfect. And actually, you find people then also going and 
buying what isn't at all a perfect horse for them necessarily, but then they say, oh, well, they have perfect experts, you know. So I think it's um, it's always a fine line. As you say, there's also top, top, top Grand Prix horses. It's pretty much, if we checked the wear and tear on most of the top five-star horses, there would uh, yeah, there'd be that higher percentage that, that would have at least something that, that is a remark because, you know, essentially the horses you know getting jumped and and you know at a, at a big level and and it is just like you say wear and tear so it's um yeah i think i think with x-rays it's it's it's, it's a very difficult subject with that like obviously we have to take into account that uh, it is important to check them that there's no real serious issues but i think there has to be a bit of give and take it depends what the horse is going to be used for and 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 who for you know i think that's yeah, for sure yeah, I think I think you you've answered that question brilliantly, and you're not going to have any politically <laughs> political issues down the line <laughs> in that matter. I think yeah. it's great great answer, um, and it's a tricky one to give because it very much depends on people's opinions and people's willingness to take a risk. Because ultimately, yeah. you might have a horse that you buy that has certain issues when you buy him as a, as a vet, like with the vetting, will never have a problem in the future. Exactly. You buy a horse that has a perfectly five star clean. And it, can... and it breaks tomorrow yeah. so uh so it's a, it's a tricky one i i'm not gonna go all the way down to politics today but i have another question um the reason why i'm asking this is because i'm actively going into the topic of prices i recorded a podcast the other day with a woman called tracy and she's one of the leading equine appraisers in the world not just for jumpers but also for equitation hunters racehorses like all sorts that's her full-time job and she's a an american trainer and the topic like that came up in that podcast and I dived a lot into the, the the pricing changes of horses and it happens to me all the time I have a seller that tells me hey I want 150 and then two weeks later they want 250 because the horse won the Grand Prix and all sorts of changes when it comes to you I find that your horses are extremely well priced for what they are simply because I, I find you to be in market but also pricing the horses in a way that allows people to actually afford them yeah. The reason why I bring this up is because we're in we're about to face an economical crash. We've yeah. had COVID. In 2008, people had a lot of issues related to money. The price of horses went down then. COVID was also causing a lot of issues with money, but it brought the, the price of horses up tremendously. Mm-hmm. Do you think that the horse the horses price still like the value is going to go up, and do you or do you think it's going to be kind of resettled in a more logical way? I think that the prices have to go up, to be honest, yeah. and I think they have to stay up because I think the cost, what it costs now, I mean, I know just from, you know, like say completely running my own business now, the costs are astronomical, like the the the, the feed bills this year have gone up, the fuel, obviously we all know, you know, transporting horses now is, is not cheap, the, the thing with me also being from the UK with horses coming over, um, from the UK to, to the Netherlands traveling now they need so many more uh, documents and health papers and testing and things like that so to be honest it's really really um, yeah the price of everything has uh, gone gone up a lot to be honest um, I, I, and I think when you look at the fact that these horses what we're producing now let's let's use an example like um, hey Joe the five-year-old from me if I'm producing that horse let's say till till later on which is usually the plan and I'm to sell him at eight years old, then I have to take into the account of, you know, how much cost I've put into him much more as, as a young horse than, than what I would have 
previously or what even the fuel levels and the price levels have come back down to you know you've still got you've still spent that money you know so yeah it's actually interesting because i feel like that conversation i have it a lot with amateur riders the buyers i have it a lot with the trainers that struggle to find the horse but i don't often have it with the breeder or with the and i think that it's a super interesting perspective what would you say is the cost generally not without giving like personal information whatsoever like what is the average cost would you say to produce a horse and it's five six seven years old approximately in europe where you're based i mean yeah it de again it depends on the horse really and again if we're going back to the fact of uh, um commercial types and uh, the better you buy obviously i think also the less you spend then to produce the horse because actually the better the horse is um the less you need to take it let's for example to training shows all the time because it's more spooky or it's more difficult or you need to change quite more often and things like that um i think if it's less commercial type let's say for example it's um more weak in its body then you need to obviously use the the vet a lot more often and 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 so on and physio and things like that so i think again the the, the price can vary and and, and 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 be very different depending on, on um, obviously there's a rough guideline maybe but it can it can it can vary too much i think depending on the horse to be honest yeah, yeah that's a very tricky one one thing that I, i find has has also brought up the price of horses is definitely you know the multi-commissions implemented within the horses Uh, within the horse's price bracket and stuff like that and i think that's a tricky one to tackle one thing that we try to do as best as we can is promise to the clients that they will know exactly what the commission structure looks like which yeah. often looks like only 10 and then of course if there is an intermediary we pay them ourselves if there is a trainer that is involved like that's totally fine but the client pays its own trainer so sometimes they do pay 20 but they're aware yeah. of it yeah yeah do you find this So my question is, I know that their intermediaries play a tremendous role in actually getting the horses moving, because mm -hmm. without them, a lot of sales don't actually happen. Yeah. So what's your take on that one? <laughs> also political. Yeah, I was going to say it's also very political. Um, listen, with commissions and things, anyone who's in the sport and in the job knows that sometimes, um, yeah, there has been cases when people have been unaware of how much people were taking uh, commission or whatever i think the main thing is again surrounding people uh with which who you trust and that you know for example like the, again going back to one of the people that find me horses i know that he's always just saying a set amount or he's saying transparently to me you know you need to give me this much from this one or you need to give me that much and it's actually not that we always have even a set rate let's say for example five or ten percent you know he's just saying Yeah, from this I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take this, and from this I'm gonna take this, and I say, okay, you've been more than fair, and and that's how it is. So I I think again it's it's, it's dealing again with, with people that you trust because anybody that you trust and wants to continue to work with you in the future isn't gonna you know try and fall out with you for 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 the sake of one quick fast sale and and earn a big quick commission. They're gonna want to build a relationship. Or at least that's the way I see it when I try to deal with people. You know, for the future that you do business together again. Again, you know for sure with the with the upcoming of like technology and the trends and transparency in our industries because it's it's huge it's becoming huge in our industries like with what we're trying to build and and all sorts of like channels that you know provide open data about horse performance and all sorts of things what do you think this exact you know role as a commissioner has to play in the future of the sport do you think that the market's going to be changing do you think that 
only honest people are going to be kept? Like, what do you what do you assume the market will look like in the next few years? I think it will always be a little bit the same when it comes yeah. to that, because I think that there's always going to be honest people, and there's always going to be people who try to to make a quick fee, try to make a quick quick buck and a quick bit of money, um, and then you know I think going to, and let's let's say for example your your company and your um way of dealing with things you know probably a lot of the old older people don't like like that and and you know and that's what i've said that from the beginning it's tricky for you in some instances because again you're totally transparent i mean you have to be with it the way your app and where your business it runs it, it is you know totally official and totally transparent so some people don't like that and there probably is you know those people that uh, want to let's say you know change a bit the deal or, or whatever probably don't like the fact that they uh, have to be so transparent about it with you and stuff so i think there's always going to be left or right on that i don't think be a world where it's totally totally transparent and i don't think it's ever going to be a world where it's totally totally um you know non-trustworthy you know that's it, it's again just picking the right people yeah i agree i totally agree with that i mean at the end of the day like for us it's not it, you would be I'm sure the older generation would be surprised with how efficient and how easy it actually makes things when you actually have all people agreeing. Now, I think that a lot of people are afraid of the changes with digitization yeah. because they think, oh, shit, I'm going to put my, oops, I should have said that, but you know what I mean? Oh, uh, I'm putting my horse on the internet. It's going to devalue it. Well, there's different ways. Like we've got a private system. We've got our exclusive way of, of showing it. And it actually protects the horse from being sent five times over WhatsApp and commissions to be added. But again, there's people that say, just like you, like, oh, yeah, I'm happy to put it publicly. And that's just upon opinion. And I think that trends are going towards digitization for sure. Yeah. And the older generation is going to have to adapt itself to it. I was having a conversation with um, an Irish guy that lives in Wellington big player and he was telling me that a few years ago they were selling horses by sending the cds over the post yeah. to other countries yeah, yeah of course yeah of course years ago and yeah it's just the natural unfolding of things so even if it takes a bit of time we actually no, it, have breeding clients now you know? it already has changed it already has changed you know my my total outlook on it and, uh, and i'm going to just say this and for anyone who knows me knows that uh listen social media and technology and instagram is totally not my thing um i love messing around with horses all day but at the same time i totally totally understand the way the modern world is going and yeah i know many people that are just selling horses or gaining students even or gaining clients just based on the amount of followers that they have which it's insane, is, isn't it? it? Which is absolutely ridiculous, you know. And 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 years ago, when it first came out, a little bit, you have some of the older people. I don't need that. I'm never going to use that. And I see the way it's going. Even all the biggest stables now, all the biggest uh, people that that uh, doing, you know, even if they don't do it personally themselves, they pay someone to do that because that is the way it's. That is that is the modern world now. Yeah. For sure, for sure, for sure. I think I think it's definitely it is gonna be a positive and a negative. Like we'll see both sides unfolding, and I think that the the future landscape of show jumping is very it's very like gonna be very interesting. When we look at what Frigsby and Jumpers are doing with, uh, you know, betting in a way or fantasy gaming, if we can call it like that. Yeah. What Nail Star is doing with Jumper, 
or what yeah. was done in the past with Pamunda, host select, like clip my horse, like you know, we're just a player among many others, and it's natural that we're trying to digitize sales, but I think that it's not just us, it's a lot of people in different aspects of the sport. And I think that if we're all able to work together and create that kind of ecosystem, the sport's gonna be more and more honest, in my opinion. But yeah, again, of course. Of course. Yeah, it gets it gets it gets harder and harder. You know, as you say, with, with technology, it's like with with everything, you know, everything is monitored now. Everything is monitored, you know, like you say, with a with a horse now, everybody can see videos in Clip My Horse, even in normal shows, they can check every result. The results are completely different to how it used to be. I mean, now also with the new rule, I know a lot of people are complaining about it and don't like it. I must be honest, there's also been a couple of situations with me also where actually you know horse has not necessarily had a bad round but with the new time time for um rule um uh, with the time penalties you know uh, in the international shows just racking up for every second um that you're over the time allowed obviously in the past it was every four seconds so if you had a problem it didn't look like a cricket score you know but uh now it, it really it really does reflect and show so you know it's it's getting harder and harder to to let's say for some of those people and um, i don't want to say not, not to lie but to 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 keep people a little bit that let's say a more normal horse or uh yeah not such a good horse is actually you know a good horse and they just sort of you know show them the parts they want to show them i think now you, you have to have like say commercials because every, everybody wants just an easy horse that's consistently doing the same thing, you know, not one week good and the next week, two weeks, uh, you know, a disaster. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Last last question, because then I'll let you go. I told you it wouldn't be like a good Yeah. What's your goal, like, for this year and a few years to come? What do you want to do professionally and, of course, in the sport as well? Yeah, okay. So I would, I would love to continue to, to keep going with the business. It's going really well, actually, I must say, after the first six months, you know, um, it's, it's really coming in a nice way now. I have some good people around me and some nice horses coming through for the future and a really good team of people working for me. So that's, that's obviously great. So I want to keep going with everything in the direction with that. I have actually one new uh, business um, uh, thing that I've actually opened also, which is uh, another thing we're doing with uh, therapy. We're doing something also with uh, Hofmag therapy, which is um, that's also an interesting thing to that we started doing. So that's a kind of still obviously horse related, but it's a totally different direction with with what I'm doing. But it's still still all part of the business. So I think that can be really exciting. Um, the services what we can offer with that as well. Um, and then as far as career wise, yeah, obviously I would love to. Now my goal more than anything, I think, um, is to produce a few horses up to that Grand Prix level again. Um, and yeah, have, have some nice horses to jump those big shows again and, and, and possibly even produce a horse all the way up to, to Nations Cup level again and, and, and do that. That would be fantastic. Yeah, that's 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 the goal, yeah. Well, I'm excited to see what happens uh, in, in, in your life, of course, and I'm looking forward to see if we can actually participate in one of those sales and one of those purchases in the future. And, and we thank you for all the support that you provide because I remember we had our first call exactly two years ago before the platform was yeah, a thing. Yeah, really. Yeah. And, uh, we've, we've, come from, we've come a long way since I was that kid and now I'm like that kid that at least knows a little bit. <laughs> yeah, no, you've, no, you're doing a great job. And uh, I think it's only going to keep, I, I said to you from the very beginning, I, I believe that, uh, yeah, you have the right mindset to do good with that. So I think that's the most important thing. So I think it's going to, uh, 
only keep going forward. Yeah, no, I'm excited to see what happens. Well, Chad, thank you very much for your time. I really appreciate it. And uh, and yeah, we'll be in touch soon. Brilliant. Thanks ever so much. Good to talk right. to you. Ciao, ciao. Thank Bye. you. Bye. Bye. Hey, how was that? I hope you found a lot of value and a lot of learnings in this new episode of Nezais. For more information, feel free to subscribe to the podcast, get in touch with our team. And remember, if you're looking to either sell or buy a high quality show jumping horse, you know where to find us. See you soon. On to the next episode of Nezais. And have a lovely beginning of the summer. Ciao.